Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. My sole mission is to get people saved. That's my, my main mission, rather. But I, I, I have a passion in empowering Christians to live a life of uh, total victory in every area of life. God didn't put you on this earth to struggle. The Bible says that Jesus died and struggled for you so that you could enter in and be more than a conqueror through him who loved us. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18 that the path of the just is It shines brighter and brighter even unto that perfect day. You're not called to live a life of ups and downs and all the rounds. You are called to an upward trajectory in life. God wants you to go higher. There's never, you've never reached the top with God. You've never hit a place of of where you can pretty much camp and stay. This is is the highest you can go in God. No, there's always another level. There's There's always a place higher in God. There's more to God than what you can see, what you can hear. The Bible very much uh catalogs how you know how 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 great god is and that he is inexhaustible the bible says in romans chapter 11 verse 33 all the depths of the power the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of god his ways are 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 past finding out his ways are unsearchable his his judgments are past finding out however you know a lot of people they quote god's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts and that's where they stop and yes god's ways are far beyond our ways and god's thoughts are far beyond the thoughts of natural man but remember in the book of corinthians first corinthians chapter 2 paul says that the spirit opens up our understanding to know the thoughts of God because we haven't received the spirit that is from this world. We haven't received the spirit that is humanly or, or earthly. We have received the spirit that comes from God so that we can know the things which come freely from God. The Bible says what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what is impossible to come up with Uh, in the heart of man. God desires to show those things to us. The Bible says, who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. In Christ, we have the mind of Christ. The Bible, the Holy Spirit is eager to show you, to unveil God's inheritance, God's power. The Bible says, now unto him who's able to do far more exceedingly and abundantly all that you can ask or even think. You haven't even thought what God is able to do yet. You haven't even conceived in your heart what God is able to do through your life stop belittling the destiny of God on yours on your life to 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 minimize what God's able to do with you Gideon was a guy that was hiding away in a wine press and when God visited him he took a coward and made him into a mighty man of valor and showed him off to his generation the Bible says that when you were called you weren't wise according to the flesh when you were called you weren't strong according to the flesh you weren't the most noble person you weren't the one that when a problem needed solved they came to you but that was your stance when you were not in Christ 
Christ, after you came to Christ, God's Spirit, the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, the same Spirit that energized Christ now lives on the inside of you. And He empowers you to do what is not humanly possible to do. He empowers you to accomplish what is unaccomplishable in your own, in your own strength. It's not by strength. It's not by your own might. It's going to be by the Spirit of God that He's going to do great and mighty things through you. So don't, don't minimize it. And I, I want to talk about today, I'm going to take a very, I'm not going to go too long today, but I want to preach on uh, important facts of prayer because I opened up this whole broadcast by talking about how people minimize the power of God or they minimize God's effectiveness in their life by the words they speak. You know, I can never really do anything great. I, I, I'm not, I've never been the brightest person or, you know, I, I wish God can use me like that, like he used that person, X, Y, and Z, like he uses pastor this and sister so and so. You know, people, by the words that they speak, they vocalize that they don't have a conviction or a confidence in their heart that God can do it for them. And I want to tell you, Acts 10.34 says that God does not show partiality. In every nation, the one who comes to God and does his will is welcome to him. The scripture says in Romans 2.11, God does not have any personal favorites. You're, you are God's personal favorite. Whoever you are, I'm God's personal favorite. We are all in Christ, part of the beloved, part of God's personal favorites. And as such, I know that God's eye is on me. You have to live in the awareness of that. God's not overlooking you to get to everybody else. God's not using you like a pawn in, your, in his system. You're not just another number. Maybe you have an employee number. Maybe you have a badge with a number on it. And, and, and you felt like you're just a number in life. Maybe to man you are. You know, you have a social insurance number. Everybody, humans love to number other humans. The social insurance number, your social security number, that literally numbers you out. But God does not number you out. The Bible says He pays so much attention to you. He's like overly obsessed with you that even the very hairs of your head are numbered. God has numbered the hairs on your head. The scripture says in the book of Psalm 139, that he is intimately acquainted with all your ways. He is, he's obsessed with you. The Bible says he knows you're sitting down and he knows you're rising up. He knows your thoughts from afar. Before there's even a word on your tongue, he knows it all together. The Bible says that even, David said this, even if I made my bed in Sheol, behold, you, you would still be there for me. Even if I took out the morning wings, if I took out a boat and went to the middle of the Pacific Ocean and tried to just bear things out there and, and pretty much hide myself from God. Even there, David said, your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall lead me. Even there, the scripture says he's formed you in your mother's womb. The Bible says that before you were even a form, your unformed substance, God saw your unformed substance. God sees you at the core. And you know what that tells you? Even if when he saw us at the core of who we were, when we were still in sin, he still chose to come after us. He still chose to leave his glory in heaven, to put on the form of a man, come in the, in, in the appearance of a bondservant, being obedient even to the point of the death of a cross so that you can inherit eternal life. If he did that while we were still sinners, how much more do you suppose he's obsessed? And now in... in 
perfectly in love with you now that you've been adopted into the family of God. Stop seeing yourself as an old sinner. Stop seeing yourself as some old, you know, wretched human being, deprived human being. You were deprived. You were a wretched human being. You were cut off from the, the family of God. You were without the promises of God. You were dead in your sins and the trespasses of your sins. But now in Christ, the Bible says, it is not I who lives, but Christ lives in me. The Bible says that in Christ, you know, Paul says to the Corinthians, don't you know that Jesus Christ lives in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So be careful how you talk about yourself. Be careful in how you limit the, the potential of God on your life by the words that you speak. Stop saying, I won't do it. Stop saying, I can't get there. Stop saying things, that, words that limit you. Instead, use your words to frame a glorious future in God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. If you're just joining me right now, uh, you, you'd greatly encourage me if you shared the broadcast on Facebook. I think you could do it on YouTube. Uh, you can do that now and uh, we'll get more people on and more people saved, more people helped by the power of God. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which did appear. So if God used words to frame the worlds and he created us in his own image, we also have power, you know, Proverbs 18, 21, the power of life and death is in your tongue. You can speak death to your life. You can speak death to your situation. You can speak further corrosive words to your, your, your situation and circumstance and you'll never get help. God, God, the Bible says in Hebrews 3, 1, that Jesus Christ is the high priest of our confession. So that means Jesus is ready to enforce what your confession is. The Bible says in Jeremiah, he watches over his word to perform it. So when your confession is in line with his word, he's the high priest of that word and of your confession. And he's watching on the earth. He's, his eyes are going to and fro from every continent on this planet called earth. And he's looking for somebody who's confessing his word from a heart-rooted conviction that God is true to his promise. And the Bible says when he watches over and sees someone doing that, he is ready, eager, and willing and available to perform those things on your behalf. He, his eyes run to and fro looking for one whose heart is lined up with his word and his mouth is lined up with that confession of his word that he might show himself strong on their behalf. God wants to manifest his power here on planet earth. God want, is desiring to show forth to this new generation that might be mocking Christians. You might have, you might have uh, fellow family members. You might have fellow friends and co-workers that might have mocked your faith. They tell you, man, why, why do you keep going to church? Why do you want revival weeks? You're there five, six, seven, eight days eight days in a row. What, why do you do all that? You know, the devil can whisper things in your ear. There's no help for you in God. Many are your adversaries. Just give up. Curse God and die like Job's wife told him. But you know what? If you'll stick with God, and you'll begin to do things His way, God is desiring to demonstrate His power here on the earth. Matter of fact, the whole creation is eagerly awaiting the manifestations of the sons and daughters of God. This earth has not seen 
to the fullest what God can do through a man who's yielded and submitted to the Spirit of God. But that's why the grace of God has drawn you to this broadcast. You're not going to be relegated to an average Christian. You're not going to be relegated to just another number in this system. You're not going to be relegated to a status quo believer. God is going to use you to shake your family, to shake your region, to shake your province or state. God's going to use you like he did Gideon to set a generation free by the power of God. But it has to start in your prayer life. It has to start in how you pray. That's why I'm taking this time to talk and teach about prayer that gets results. Because, you know, there's a right way to do thing in life and there's a wrong way to do thing in life in anything. There's a right way to drive a car and there's a wrong way to drive a car. If I got into my car and started to drive on the opposite end of the freeway and uh, a police car pulled, the police officer pulled me over and he said, sir, you're driving on the wrong side of the freeway. And I said, well, look, uh, officer, just understand that my heart is pure in doing this. You know, I, I really have a good heart and my intentions were not to harm anyone. It doesn't matter what your intentions are. There are laws that govern the natural realm. And then there's laws that govern the spiritual realm. There are laws that govern prayer. Not every prayer is to be prayed the same way. There are prayers, uh, there's, there's like different, different categories of prayers. There's a prayer of thanksgiving. A prayer of thanksgiving is when you're taking time to thank God, to praise Him for what He's done, to praise Him for, for who He is. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 92, the scripture says, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praises to His name, O Most High God. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews 13, that we are to continually offer up unto God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto His name. The Bible says in everything we are to give thanks unto God, which is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So there's the prayer of thanksgiving. But then there's another category of prayer called the prayer of intercession. Prayer of intercession is when you're praying on behalf of someone else. You could be praying for a lost loved one. You could be praying for a backslider. You can be praying for somebody who, who perhaps is sick in their body. You can pray intercessory, intercessory prayers. Those are, there's a whole new set of laws for intercessory prayers. Then there's another category of prayer that's called the prayer of repentance. When you're praying, you know, a, a penitent prayer, you're asking God to forgive you and empower you by His grace now to go and sin no more. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we have sin, if we confess our sin to the Father, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the prayer of confession, the prayer of forgiveness. But not you shouldn't spend an hour praying that one prayer. You shouldn't spend seven days in a row. Just If all we ever did was pray prayers of confession, of asking for forgiveness, and that consumed the entirety of our prayer time, we wouldn't be very effective in prayer. But what I want to focus on today, predominantly, is the prayer of, uh, of, of, of supplication or the prayer of requests, which the Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse 6, you are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication, you are to make your requests known to God along with thanksgiving and the God of peace will himself guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So, in, in the sports world, 
If I applied the, the laws of basketball, playing soccer, I'd get a red card and thrown out of the match. Because in basketball, it's totally legal to pick up the ball and start bouncing it and start, you know, start playing, playing and shooting hoops and whatnot. In soccer, it's a totally new set of laws that govern the, the sport of soccer. And if you're in a, another country, football, then uh, the laws that govern basketball. If I started kicking the basketball around and trying to get it in the hoop, I'd be kicked out of the game because that's, that's not permitted in basketball. If I started to slide tackle people over in basketball, like I would in soccer, legally, of course, not getting them at the end with my, my, my cleats up, but if I did it legally in soccer, you know, that's actually commended. People would applaud. Ref wouldn't even stop the game. If you get, if you touch the ball first, but if I go ahead and start slide tackling people while I'm playing basketball, I'm going to get thrown out of that game. Well, in the same way, there are certain laws that govern the prayer of request that don't work when you're praying prayers of thanksgiving or prayers of intercession or other prayers. So we have to zone in. If our prayers of request are not getting results, if, you know, when I pray, I'm not just praying to take up time. And I want to get that in you this, this afternoon or this morning if you're on the West Coast. I want to get that in you. First and foremost, that prayer is not a religious activity that we do to satisfy our, you know, quota with God so we can get on with living. Prayer is not us punching in and punching out so we can do our duty before God and, and you know, maintain a relationship with God and that's about it. Prayer is a weapon that God has allotted mankind that if used properly has the power to yield and harness God's power towards your situation to affect lasting change in the area that you need change. Prayer changes things. I did a broadcast on prayer changes things that if you get a chance to do it, it's on YouTube and uh, and it's archived on our YouTube channel. I would suggest to go and watch that after this is done if you want to supplement today's message. Because I want, you know, one thing that you have to get settled in your heart is that prayer changes things. It's not us coming and venting about our problems before God and just telling Him what things are going on in your life and then not even asking Him to change anything or just saying, Lord, whatever you want done, let it be done. That's not prayer. That's not prayer. Prayer is not... Uh, excusing yourself of responsibility in life and just relegating everything to the sovereignty of God that, you know, we're just going to pray God's will. And that God wrote this book called the Bible, authored it by the pen of 40 plus different authors to show you what his will is in pertinent to your situation. He's, God does not want you to walk through life wandering, hoping you're getting things right. God has moved upon, the Bible says, all scripture came up about or came to be as holy men of God were moved on by the Holy Spirit and began to write those things down and they're not open for interpretation. So I want to go, I want to go through a couple of things that I wrote down. Eight important facts that will change your prayer life. If applied, knowledge by itself will do you no good. It's knowledge applied that produces results. So if all you do is listen and sit in and get informed today, 
it's not going to change a thing. You have to be open and ready that what I'm hearing from God through this broadcast today, I'm going to start applying those things practically in my life. And as I do, I'm going to expect God to do what I've never seen done before. Unprecedented intervention on his behalf. Acts chapter 12, the Bible says that Peter, or first and foremost, Herod kidnapped James, the, uh, the, the apostle, and had him beheaded. The Bible says when the people saw that, uh, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews that James had been uh, beheaded and he was getting political uh, advantage through it, he proceeded further to go and take and kidnap Peter. And he committed him to prison and guarded him by several squadrons of soldiers. The Bible says when James had been kidnapped, there's not one record of the, of the church praying for James. There's not one record of a prayer meeting being had for James. And we know how that turned out. But when Peter was committed to prison, the Bible says effective fervent prayer was made on Peter's behalf by the church. The church prayed fervently for Peter. And what happened? An angel moved in response to those prayers. And came into the place where Peter was um, jailed, struck him on his side, and told him to rise up. As he rose up, he thought that what was being done was a vision. He thought he was dreaming. He thought he was still sleeping, still trying to like wipe his eyes, pinch himself. And finally, the angel told him to gird himself and to walk with him. As they walked out, the Bible says, that the first guard post and the second guard post, they were like blinded to Peter just leaving. And the gate that led onto the city opened of its own accord. And when Peter was safely let out of the prison, he came to himself and said, Now I know that what I was seeing was not a vision, but God has sent his angel to deliver me from the expectation of the Jewish people and from the hand of Herod. I want you to see from that scripture, when no prayer was made for James, things didn't change. Things don't just happen. Miracles don't just happen. Jesus didn't say in Matthew chapter 7, don't go out and ask anything. Whatever God wants done, it'll get done automatically in spite of what you want, in spite of your desires. Don't expect anything to change if you pray. Everything will happen in its time. Time heals all. Time, you know, people love to like make time their God. You know, in due time. No, it's not going to be in due time. Matthew chapter 7. Let me read this. Matthew chapter 7. So nothing happened when James prayed, but when, when the church didn't pray for James, but when the church prayed for Peter, what happened? God sent an angel in response to their prayers. Daniel chapter 9. The scripture says that D Daniel gained understanding by books. He had read the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah and saw that the captivity was to last 70 years. Well, 70 years were about up and he didn't stay silent. He brought it before God in prayer. And the Bible says 21 days later, an angel came to him and said from the very first day that you opened up your mouth to pray, I was sent in response to your words. God does not work randomly. John Wesley used to say, it seems to me that God can do nothing on the earth unless man prays. I mean, you study the life of Abraham. Abraham 
hears that God is about to destroy Sodom. So he goes to where God is and he intercedes on behalf of Sodom. And he says, surely you're a just, a just God. Surely you're not going to destroy Sodom, uh, the wicked with the righteous altogether. He said, if there be 50 people, would you spare Sodom? God said, if there's 50 people, I'll spare Sodom. So that was a step in the right direction. But Abraham knew there probably isn't 50 righteous people in that city. So let me go down to 20. If there's 20 people, will you spare Sodom? 20 righteous people. And he said, if there's 20 righteous people, I will spare Sodom. Then he moved on. If there's 10 righteous people, 10. And he even said, Lord, you know, forgive me if I'm overstepping. But if there's 10 righteous people, will you spare, spare Sodom? You know what that tells you about Abraham, who's called the father of faith? Abraham didn't stop and limit God by cheap, insulting prayers. Lord, I don't need you to do all of this, but if you can just get this done. You know what Jesus told his, his crowd in Luke? He says, if you are unable to do the rest, why are you anxious about the little? Meaning, if you don't even have the ability to accomplish the impossible, if you don't even have the ability to accomplish, you know, what is even humanly possible because of, of, of a, a weakness or a, an infirmity in your own self, if you're unable to do the smallest of it, then why not trust God with the rest? If you... You know, people pray things like, Lord, I ask you, I don't need you to heal my whole body, but if you can just get rid of these headaches, why not? You know, people always say when they're praying about, um, they're praying like they have a tumor and they need it removed or they need to go through some surgery. They pray prayers like, Lord, we ask you to guide the surgeon's hand. Why would you ask? You know, the surgeon went through seven years, if not more, of medical uh, education to learn how to perform surgeries on human beings he's got his education he has worldly wisdom he can do what he can do and there's nothing wrong with that i i actually appreciate doctors because uh they're working in the right direction but why would you pray that god guides the surgeon's hand instead of praying that the tumor itself leaves or instead of praying that the cancer leaves or instead of praying that you know instead of saying lord i need prayer um that when I go in for this knee surgery, that God, you'd guide the, the surgeon's hands and, and, and have him, you know, correctly do whatever needs to, be, to correct, be corrected in my body. Instead of doing that, ask God for brand new knees. Ask God. The Bible says, now unto him who's able to do far more abundantly all that you can ask, think, or imagine, according to his power at work in us. I'm not, asking, I'm not insulting God. Don't insult God by your praying. He is the most high God. The Bible says, I am the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Lord, I, I don't need you to do all of those things. As if God is bothered by your asking. Let me tell you one thing. And if this is all you get in your spirit today, then I, I accomplish what I set out to accomplish. God would never have asked you to pray if he wasn't willing to answer your prayers. God would have never asked you to pray if he wasn't willing and eager to answer your prayers. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not of. 
There is a time to fellowship with God in prayer. There is, sometimes I spend my entire time just doing that. There is a time for that. There is a time just to spend time worshiping God for who He is. But I know when you have 131 people watching and several thousand that will watch on the replay, I know that there's some of you tuning in that unless God pulls through, you'll be like James, beheaded. The enemy will have his way. Unless God enforces his power in your life, things won't turn. Unless God's hand of intervention sweeps your way, you're going to stay in that rutted pit forever. And I'm not some preacher that's going to tell you, you know, ultimately, the next life, that's where we'll have lasting victory. Ultimately, if you're sick in your body, the real healing comes in the next life. I'm not going to be that guy. Because Jesus didn't promise to heal you for when you get to heaven. You won't need healing in heaven. Jesus didn't promise to provide for you financially in heaven. You won't need provision financially in heaven. The streets are made with gold. Those promises of God. You know, Paul didn't say the promises of God. They're not that important on this life. What matters most is that one day we'll spend eternity with Jesus. He said all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I love people. I want to see people have victory over the devil. I want to see people shine as billboards of God's goodness here on the earth. I want to see people the way Jesus set people after Jesus. People came encounter in, in, uh, in contact with Jesus. He never left them the same way. He never told the leper, Hey, listen, I know your flesh is disintegrating, but ultimately understand that it's not important. What, you know, what's really important is your eternal salvation. Yes, we understand that. That is of utmost importance, that you get saved. That's why I'm an evangelist. I literally spend my life to seek and save that which was lost. I've left the 99 to go after the one. That's my life's purpose. It's my mission. Paul said that I don't account my life is anything dear to myself so that I can solemnly testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ and get people saved. However, just because something is of utmost importance does not mean that everything else is not important. Breathing is important. Does that mean eating is not important? It's more important for me to breathe than it is for me to eat because I can go 30 days without eating, 40 days without eating as long as I'm hydrated. But I can't go I can't go two minutes without breathing. I don't know what the world record is, but I'm sure it's not more than 24 hours. You can't even go a day without breathing. So just because breathing is of utmost importance doesn't mean eating is not important and essential. That's a religious devil that tries to belittle your importance or, or, or the thing you value in life, like health. Like being able to not worry about finances. You know what's funny is people that tell you, you know, you, you shouldn't bug God with your financial needs. It's The material doesn't really matter in this life. Yes, we understand. We're not to set our heart on riches. However, it's nice to say we don't need to bug God with material needs when you have a nice salary, when you live in a nice first world country, when there's no needs really to be met because God has over and abundantly given you a nice job. He supplied more than enough for you. He supplied all your needs according to His riches and glory. But do you know that there's somebody else 
There are other people, there are homeless people that need to hear the message about God's provision. They need to have, Jesus spent time talking about God's provision when he said, don't worry about your life as to what you'll put on. Don't worry about your body as to what you'll eat. Life is more than that, yes. But God, who so clothes the lilies of the valley today, which today are, are beautiful and adorned, but tomorrow thrown into the oven, if he so clothes them beautifully today, will he not much more clothe you Solomon in all his glory. He wasn't even arrayed as one of these lily, little, little lilies. He wasn't even arrayed. He wasn't clothed as beautifully. As rich as God made Solomon, he still was not clothed as beautifully as the, the flowers of the field. And yet, God will much more clothe you. Oh, ye of little faith, Jesus says. He goes, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else you're seeking after will be added to your account. The Father knows. But you know what's interesting? Jesus finishes off by that dialogue by saying, the Father knows what you have need of before you even say it. But do you, do you know that James 4.3 says, you have not because you ask not? Just because God, God is not moved by human need. I'm not saying He doesn't have compassion. I'm not saying He, does not, uh, he doesn't you know, move within His heart. With him, you know, he doesn't uh, weep at the thought of people struggling through life and not knowing him. The Bible says Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they didn't recognize the day of his, of their, of his visitation. I'm not saying Jesus isn't moved internally for you if you have a need. He loves you. However, God's hand does not move based on human need because if that were true, there would be no needs. God is moved by faith, and faith is expressed by prayer. James 4, 3, you have not because you ask not. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said. James, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Notice how it doesn't say ask, and it may be given to you. Seek and you may find. Knock and the door may be open. No, it says ask and it shall be given. It, Jesus is speaking in definite terms. He's not trying to create doubt. God does not propagate doubt. God is not a manufacturer of doubt. God manufactures and produces faith. God's word manufactures and produces faith in our hearts. Never doubt. The devil is the source of doubt. The world is a source of doubt and your own flesh is an enemy of your faith and tries to put doubt in your heart. That's why the Bible says you are to resist the devil and stand firm in the faith. You can't resist the devil unless you learn how to stand firm in the faith. And we did a whole broadcast last week, two broadcasts on how to increase your faith, the importance of faith, how to develop your faith. Your ability to resist the devil is determined by the quality of faith that you've produced and generated in your heart. You have strong faith. You'll be strong against the devil. I mean, look at Jesus. He's in the wilderness and the Bible says the devil came to him to tempt him and try and get him to do what? To doubt God. The devil said, if you are, he always comes in with a question. If you are in the Garden of Eden, did God really say? 
If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. What did Jesus say? It is written. He answered with the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The scripture says he came a second time. You know, that shows you the devil's not going to stop at once. He's going to try and keep beating and keep trying. The Bible calls him a buffeting spirit. Over and over until he finally gets you to succumb. You know, I was reading a book before and it was a minister who, a guy came to him after a service and he said, uh, Pastor, can you please pray for me that I no longer have any trouble with the devil? Pastor, can you please pray that I don't have to deal with the devil anymore? And he, and he said, would you like me to pray that you die and go to heaven? The only time you're going to have, you're, you're not going to have any type of demonic opposition or any type of worldly uh, opposition or any fleshly opposition is when you die and go to heaven and you have a new created, a new body, an incorruptible body. That's the only time that the devil's going to, you know, you won't have to deal with the devil any longer. But while you're still in the flesh, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and forces of darkness in heavenly places. But Ephesians 6 doesn't end there. It says, but you are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the full armor of God. God didn't leave you as an orphan on this earth. Fend for yourself. You know, like we're just victims and we should be hiding out everywhere no he said i'm giving you the shield of faith where where with wherewith you'll be able or with which sorry you'll be able to quench every fiery dart of the devil so though that word wrestle says you're constantly going to have a battle with but remember the battle we're fighting is not a bad fight Paul didn't say we are to fight the bad fight of faith. Paul said we are to fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight because the battle is, uh, is already won and the victory is already secured because Jesus Christ, the Bible says, he took on the form of the flesh, died a death that ultimately he should have never died because he, he, he wasn't the guilty one. We were the guilty one. Jesus didn't die to forgive his own sins. Jesus didn't die so he can be healed. Jesus didn't die so he can have right relationship with God. Jesus died so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be healed, so that we can have right relationship with God. And the Bible says the certificate of debt, all the sins that were against us was taken out of the way. He nailed it to the cross and then he disarmed principalities and powers and made a public show of the devil openly, having triumphed over Satan and his forces. We're not fighting for the victory we have the victory that's why we have the good fight of faith that we're to fight that's why the bible says we are to not fear evil spirits because we're to be strong and courageous for god said i am in you and i am with you and if god before you who can be against you hallelujah ask and it shall be given to you why can we ask and know that we'll receive because jesus is not a liar Jesus is not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. For everyone who asks, not some, everyone who asks shall receive. And he who seeks will find. And he, he says it a second time to enforce it even further, to nail in the point. Everyone who knocks, it will be open.
Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for a bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Give good gift. God is a giving God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. The, the father of lights in whom there's no shifting shadow or variant of change. God, the Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, he doesn't withhold good from those to whom it is due. I want to get through eight important facts about prayer that will greatly revolutionize your prayer life. Number one, you have to understand that we must pray to the father in the name of Jesus. The New Testament, and I'm going to read it because I know people are probably going to, oh, I've never read that. Just because you've never read it doesn't mean it's not in there. You have to pray to the Father. So what does that mean? We don't pray to Jesus. Jesus said, you're not to pray to me. He said, you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Where do we see that? John 16 and 23. In that day, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day where the new covenant would be sealed in his blood. So it wasn't even in the day that he was in right now. It, you know, when Jesus was operating in his earthly ministry, that wasn't even that day yet. In that day, he's referring to a future event. When he would die, rise again, be ascend, seated down at the right hand of the Father, having entered into the Holy of Holies and obtained an eternal redemption for us. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Jesus, John 16, 23. You will ask me nothing. So he's saying, now you've been asking me for things because I'm here with you. And I've had to pray for you. And I've had to, you know, petition the Father on your behalf and all that. But now, in that day, you'll ask me nothing. But whatever you ask the Father in my name, in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy may, so that your joy may be full. Verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name. And I don't say that I'll pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I've come forth from God. Hebrews 10, 19 and 23. The Bible says we are to draw near to him with a true assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled by the blood and our bodies washed by the word. We're to draw near to him. To him who? To God. Having our bodies washed by the blood. Because of the blood of Jesus, I have right standing before God. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the ability to stand in God's presence without any sense of inferiority, without any sense of guilt, without any sense of condemnation. Now, I'm not saying you're superior to God by saying the inferiority thing, but I'm saying that you don't have to stand in God's presence and shrink back in shame. You can stand boldly. The Bible says we are to come boldly into the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Number one, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. I'm baffled when I hear ministers pray, uh, Jesus, we just ask you, and they go on and ask whatever. The Bible doesn't say you're to pray to Jesus. You're to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. 
The name of Jesus is our blank check before God. He's already signed it by his blood. And he says, fill it in with anything you find in this book. And it will be enforced for you by, uh, by my Father in heaven. Number two, anything you desire to do in life. Second important fact you must understand about prayer. Anything that you desire to do in life will require prayer for accomplishment. Jesus, the Bible says, oftentimes he withdrew himself from the multitude and he went into a solitary place and there he prayed. The Bible says that uh, Jesus spoke to his disciples saying, I can do nothing on my own initiative, but only what the Father does through me. So he put a prime importance. He put an essentiality on prayer. And he actually uh, credited the effect of his ministry, the power produced in his ministry, because of the prayer life he had engaged with, uh, engaged in with God. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. You know that in the days of his flesh, Jesus, he offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him and he was heard because of his godly fear. So Jesus put a prime importance on prayer for his success in ministry and in life. The Bible says in a, in a, a long while before daylight, he woke up and went to a solitary place and there he prayed. Another place, I think it's Luke 6, 12. And he went up on a mountain and continued in prayer all night before God. The Bible says when he was with the, two, uh, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, he went to the, the Mount of Transfiguration and he prayed. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. The Bible says he sent his disciples away before him and he, he went to a mountain and prayed. And when he got down from the mountain, he saw that his disciples were straining on the sea. They weren't, there was a big wind against them. So he began to walk on the water intending to go past them. Well, where did that power to walk on water come from? It was because of his dedication and devotion in prayer. And I want to get something uh, in, in reference to this thought, to this, to this, to this second point. I want to get this in you. If we could reproduce Christ's work without duplicating his dedication, we would be greater than Christ. Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Jr. actually says that quote in his book on fasting. If we can reproduce Christ's works and miracles and ministry without duplicating his dedication and devotion before God, we would be greater than Christ. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his master. A servant is not above his master. A disciple is not above his teacher. But it is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a servant to become like his master. How do you become like Jesus? By doing what Jesus did. If Jesus had to pray and fast in order to secure power from heaven to do what he, you know, what he did, then it would be prideful and extremely foolish for us to think that we can do it without, without prayer. Prayerlessness is pridefulness because it's, it's you literally standing up boastfully and saying, I can do it without his help. Prayer, when you pray, you're signaling to heaven, I need your help. And the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace and power to the humble. Prayer is an act of humility. 
The Bible says you are to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due time ye shall reap a harvest if you don't grow weary. He shall exalt you. He shall lift you up. Humble yourself. He that is exalted shall be debased. But he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Paul lived a life of prayer. He said, praying always under every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jude, the Bible says that uh, he, he said that we are to pray always in the Holy Ghost, building ourselves up on our most holy faith. Daily prayer is a necessity for daily triumph. The Bible says without Him we could do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, and that strength comes in you through prayer. Number two, anything you desire to do in life, that's God-ordained, will require prayer. Number three, understand that nothing remains impossible after you've prayed. The Bible says, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Prayer is required in order for you to see the impossible done in your life. You're never going to pray if you think that there are things that are truly impossible in your life. You'll never pray if you think that there are certain things that are unchangeable. There is nothing that is unchangeable when God intervenes. The Bible says, I am the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Look at Goliath mouthing off to the Israelites. They thought he was a giant too large to slay. What, they, what did David do? He heard the words of, of uh, Goliath, and his reaction was different. He didn't, he didn't think Goliath was an impossible foe. He said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that's taunting the armies of the living God? David understood that if God was on his side, there was nothing that can get in his way that the Holy Ghost wouldn't bulldoze out of his way. And he said, this very day, I'm going to cut your head down and feed your body to the birds of the air. And what happened? He charged Goliath. He didn't like timidly walk towards him. He charged him with force. And the scripture says he took his head off that very day. David understood. Psalm 66, 3, he's the one that wrote it. Say unto God, how marvelous are thy works through the greatness of your power, thine enemies shall submit themselves unto you. There is no mountain that prayer can't remove out of your way. There's no obstacle that prayer can't lay flat in your life. There's no sickness that prayer can't heal. That, that God through prayer can't heal. There's no valley that the power of prayer can't fill up. There's no adversary or foe that prayer can't trip up. There is no irreversible situation in your life that prayer can't reverse. There's nothing the enemy's done to you or your family that the power of God that's brought down into your situation through prayer can't reverse and deal with today. There's no chain forged in hell that prayer can't remove from your life because prayer is the mysterious discipline that gets God to act on your behalf. I mean, you look at Hezekiah. 
Hezekiah is given a word from the prophet. Get your, your house in order because this sickness is going to result in death. What does Hezekiah do? He turns his face to pray. Isaiah 38. And as he prayed, God told Isaiah, get back in that house and tell him I've added 15 years to his life. Elijah prayed. He was a man. People love to think like Elijah was like, he was just hovering around the earth and had a halo over his head and glowing, flashing skin that caused even those that looked to him to be blinded. No, he was a man of like nature. He had the same passions. He had the same temptations. He had the same flesh and nature. But the Bible says in James chapter 5, when he prayed, the heavens were opened. Rather, the heavens were shut and there was no rain for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the heavens were opened and the rain fell and the earth produced its crop. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Prayer moves the hand that can squash your enemy. Prayer moves the hand that the Bible says by the finger of God, he casts out demons. Prayer moves the hand that can flick the devil out of your house. Prayer is it. The Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So there has to be fervency in your praying, praying before there can be any results. You, whatever you don't want, You'll never have. The Bible says, My flesh longs for thee, and my thirst thirsteth for thee, O God, to see thy power. It can't just be, well, whatever he wants done. No. Lord, Lord, I've seen your will from your word. I know that this is something that you want to do for me. I refuse to let down. I'm, the Bible talks about coveting earnestly the things of God. Earnestly, the Bible says it's the word zelu in the Greek. Zelu, which is to burn passionately for. Not just casually. You know, there's people, R.W. Schambach tells a story one when he would, uh, he would do healing lines and a man came to him and uh, he asked for prayer and Schambach used to say, what do you want? Like, what do you want prayer for? Can't just, well, I need prayer. Prayer for what? You can't say, well, we have unspoken needs. If your prayer goes unspoken, your prayer will go unanswered. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. The Bible says that we are to submit our requests before God who hears us. David said, I made known my prayer before the Lord. And he heard me and he delivered me. Bible actually says, when I kept quiet about my things, my, my sorrow just multiplied. But when I opened up my mouth, when I declared to God what I needed, he delivered me from, that, from, from all distress. He asked the guy, what do you want prayer for? And he said, whatever the Lord sees fit, whatever the Lord wants, just anything. And Schambach, as a joke, he said, Father, kill him. As a joke. And the guy was like, whoa, whoa, I don't want that. He's like, well, let me know what you want prayer, prayer for. If, you know, that's so important. Because if your prayer is not targeted at a specific desire, then how are you going to have that thing? If you have no bullseye that you're pulling back the arrow of prayer to hit, then you're never going to hit anything. Be specific. Hannah, it's 1 Samuel 1. She had gone many years barren. Penina, 
her, her husband's other wife, begin to mock her and scorn her, make her feel like miserable. And the Bible says that she came before God at Shiloh and she poured out her heart before the Lord. She spoke with such earnest desire that Eli the prophet, the, the priest rather, he stood up from his seat and came down and said, put wine away from you. You're drunk. It's like 9 a.m. Why are you drunk at this hour? And she said, Master, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring out my heart before the Lord. Eli stood back and said, if, you're, if that's the desire you have, if that's how much you're pressing in, then there's no way God would ignore, ignore that cry. So much so you look like a drunkard. There's no way God will ignore that cry. And what did Eli do? He said, by this time next year, you'll hold your child. May the Lord grant you your request, your petition. Well, what happened? The next year, she had her child. But you want to know something? She didn't just ask God, Lord, you know, since I'm not having children, whatever you want done in my life. No. She challenged the, what the devil willed for her life with what God willed for her life and then made it specific. I don't want just any child. I want a male child. I want a boy, a baby boy. She didn't just say, you know, whatever child you see fit to give. No, I want a baby boy and I'm going to dedicate and consecrate him to you. And because she put a, a, a target to her face, she hit the target. What did Jesus do when that man came to him that was blind? Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, what do you mean, what do you want me to do for you? I'm blind. Can't you see I can't see? I need, I need my sight back. Newsflash, you can see I'm blind. No, he didn't do that. He, that man understood the law of faith. That you have to make your request known. Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus wasn't doing that because he, he, he was like, he really didn't know what this guy wanted. He was really asking, you know, what's your prayer? No, he saw he was blind. And even at that, I'm sure by the word of knowledge, he would have known. And the Bible says, he, he purposely asked him, what do you want? What do you want? Write it down. I have a friend. He was having a hard time getting a job. He, he was praying. He was asking the Lord, you know, this typical thing, Lord, whatever job you want me to do, I'll, I'll do it. I'll follow you. You know, all that stuff. And for months and months and months, there was no success. Nobody was calling him. He would get a job, but it would be a seasonal thing. And then one day, he, I was on the phone with him and I said, have you ever tried taking a notepad and a pen, paper and start writing out what, what kind of job you want? What, what type of job you want? What type of of pay, what type of hours, you know, make it specific. Because if you just ask for a job, you'll never really give God thanks for that thing because you, you know, in the natural things can happen. You know, you, a job opening can, can open up, something can open up, a friend of yours calls you and says, hey, I have a business, I'm looking for an employee if you want to fill it in and, you know, you'll appreciate it. Maybe you will thank God. Thank God for providing for that job. Providing that job, but however, if you make it specific and incredibly accurate, and all those things come to pass to the T, I mean, that'll blow your mind away. So he starts to write down, I want this many hours, I want to work from home, I want a job that pays at least this much, and a bunch of other things. Well, that what happened was, I think a week later, 
after writing all that down, he gets a call from somewhere he had applied, and it's exactly what he wanted to do with a higher pay, with better hours, and with like health insurance, all that stuff that you know you want in a job. Everything he asked for. Stay at home. He doesn't have to work. And it's not because of COVID alone. Even after COVID, he'll still be able to work from home because the job doesn't require him to be anywhere. And he can live anywhere he wants. He can live in Florida if he wants. He doesn't have to be stuck to the place that he lives right now. Everything he wanted, he got. Months he prayed. And it was a struggle and it was a frustration tied to his prayers because it was nothing was happening. Nothing was moving. The day he began to sit down and think and ask specifically what he wanted done, then God said, hey, there's someone who truly believes I know uh, th 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 that I know what I'm doing. There's someone who truly believes I can get things done exactly as they have believed. Don't settle. Don't limit God. Ask Him for the best. He is the Most High God. He's the all-sufficient, the God of more than enough. You want to know why God's ready to give you overflow and not just give you, you know, like the religious people say, you know, He'll just give you what you need. Really? Did those 5,000 need 12 baskets leftovers of fragments that remained? Or did God, through Christ, do that specifically to show you that He's the God of abundance, of more than enough? He's El Shaddai. The Hebrew, the many-breasted one, the one who's, who, who, who is the all-sufficient. Number three, understand that nothing remains impossible after you've prayed. Number four, understand your righteousness in Christ. If you don't know that you're righteous in Christ, you'll never approach God with boldness. You have to know that the blood of Jesus has wiped away every stain of sin so that you'll come boldly before His throne of glory. The Bible says, Thou hast blotted out their transgressions and their iniquities for your own sake. The Bible says, I'll make a covenant with them in that day, and their sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. So I'm forgiven. The Bible says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Christ carried our sins to that cross. And the curse and the penalty and the consequence and the guiltiness of it all. So that we can be absolved of it all. Not just buried. You know, that's the good thing. The Old Testament, they had to atone for their sin. Meaning they had to do once a year sacrifice to cover their sin so that they wouldn't appear dirty before God. In Christ... We don't, have to, we don't have atonement for sin alone. We have the total eradication, the uprooting and the removal of sin from our own bodies, our own lives. The Bible says very clearly that uh, the handwriting, the certificate of sin has been taken out of the way. There's not one sin that separates me from God because when God sees me, He sees Jesus. The Bible says, as many as believed Him, to them gave He be the power to become children of God. Third John 3, uh, 1 John 3.22 Brethren, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If you go to prayer and you feel like condemned, you feel wrong, you feel like guilty of everything, you know, you're never going to have confidence before God. And you're never going to pray boldly. 
You're going to pray shy, timid prayers. Because you're going to be feeling bad for everything and worrying about everything you've ever done. The Bible says if our hearts don't condemn us, so God doesn't condemn you, but you have to actually work hard on your heart, not condemning your own self. Then we have confidence before God. And then it says, whatsoever we ask of Him, we receive because we do those things which are pleasing and we keep His commandments. And we do those things which are pleasing in His sight. Number four, understand your righteousness in Christ. Number five, get scriptures that back up your case. Well, I, you know, I believe in God to heal me and I've been praying for healing. What scriptures are you standing on? Well, nothing in particular. Well, that's what you'll get. Nothing in particular. You need to find a scripture that proves that God wants to give you what you want to receive. Put me in remembrance of my word, says God. Bring forth your strong reasons. You know, it's a poor lawyer that has no evidence before a judge. A lawyer, no matter if his client is innocent, if he appears before a judge, and starts to say, you know, you have to understand my, my client's a very good-hearted individual and uh, you, you should really rule in his favor. He's a good guy. He could never kill anybody. You know, all these accusations are false. It doesn't matter if he is innocent. It doesn't matter if he is innocent. It doesn't matter how good of a person he is. If he, if he uh, doesn't have evidence to present before the judge, the judge won't rule in his favor. In the same vein, when we appear before the judge of the whole earth, God, and come before His throne, if we come without the evidence of His word, we have no basis for our faith. There's nothing we're truly standing on. We're just wishful thinkers. But when you present God, that's why Job 22 says, acquaint thyself with God and be at peace. Lay up His word in your heart. Lay up your, His word in your heart. Receive the instructions of His mouth and keep them treasured within your heart so that now you have ammunition in prayer and whatever you ask. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. We know that whatever we ask of Him, we, that if it be according to His will, His word, we receive those things because he hears us and whatever he hears us in we have the request of which of which we ask we know that whatever we ask according to his word he hears us in it and if he hears us then we know we have the request of which we've asked so you have to locate three i i like to locate at least three scriptures that i can stand on so if i'm believing god for healing I, I, I'm, I'm quoting. I'm bringing out the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Well, I don't see any healing, so, you know, I, I, I guess I don't have faith. That's not faith. Faith is the evidence. Faith, the Word of God. What's the source of faith? The Word of God. So interchangeably, you can say the Word of God is the evidence of things you don't yet see. Until you see it in here, you'll never see it out there. Until you locate the promise in here, you'll never be able to locate that promise fulfilled in your life. If I'm standing on the promises of God for healing, I'm quoting three scriptures, easy. One, Exodus 15, 26. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I will not permit any of the diseases on you which have come upon the Egyptians. Number two, Exodus 23, 25. 
If you'll serve the Lord your God, He'll bless your bread and your water, and He'll take sickness out of your midst. Three, in Jeremiah chapter 8, the Bible says that Jesus is the balm of Gilead. And in, in, I think in Jeremiah chapter 8, 10, the Bible says that God will bring us health and a cure. And then you want to go a fourth one? You can quote Isaiah 53, by his stripes I'm healed. Those are four scriptures that if you're believing God for healing, those are four things God has said in the area of uh, our physical well-being. His will, what his will is concerning the area of our physical well-being. Those are four things that solidify that God wants to see me well. And so when I'm standing before God asking for healing, I don't have to wonder if it's his will. I can know that it's his will. And as such, I can, I can pray boldly for those things to take root in my life. You're talking about financial provision. You have to, well, I'm just believing God's going to meet my needs. He won't. What scripture? Faith begins where the will of God is known and faith is required for prayer to bring forth results. What scriptures? Philippians 4.19 My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's one. Number two. If I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, go after souls. All these things, everything people worry about will gravitate towards me number three psalm 23 1 if the lord is my shepherd i shall not lack anything number four deuteronomy 8 18 the bible says it is the lord your god who gives you power to create wealth so that he can establish his covenant with you number five i've been young i'm now old i've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread that's five scriptures you can bring to god in the area of finances, where you know His will per, in per, uh, pertaining to that area, where you can bring forth your strong reasons and get an answer. Many people have unanswered prayers because they have no scripture that backs up their desire. That's why Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved. That's why God told Joshua, this book of the law should never depart from your mouth. You should be careful to observe, to meditate there in day and night. Meditate on the Word of God. Let it get in your heart, not just in your mind. Get it deep down. Jesus said, let these words sink deep into your hearts. Paul said, let the words of Christ dwell richly within you. When I pray, if I, if I will vocalize, I will voice my desire, and then I'll, I'll take like 10 minutes. Just quoting scripture and thanking God that because of these things, I could know that he honors his word above his name. God honors his word above his name. You know what that means? His reputation is in his word. And if he doesn't make good on his word, his reputation is ruined. So he makes it a point to fulfill his word so that his, rep his reputation can stay intact. Hallelujah. And God's reputation ain't going to be ruined by you. I believe as you start to take up His Word, whatever you're struggling with and suffering with today, locating scriptures that pertain to that situation, as you begin to voice that out, backed up by the Holy Scriptures, I know my God shall make a way for you where there was no way. Just like Hannah. She came before the Lord, poured out her heart, backed it by covenant, 
and God produced a miracle for her. My God shall produce that same miracle for you in Jesus' name. Nehemiah is grieved at the destruction of the walls of Jerusalem. What does he do? He pray, Nehemiah 1, one of the greatest prayers of Scripture. He prays God's covenant. He reminds God of His covenant. Go and read it. You can see. Lord, I remind you of your covenant that you said. And he quotes the, 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 the Torah, the Pentateuch. And what happened? God then, all right, you brought out my word? I'm going to raise you up to get something done. And what did Nehemiah do? He was one of the integral characters to bring in, in uh, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. So bring forth God's word to him it, like a, a lawyer coming, coming before a judge. And when you state your case as such, God said, you shall be acquitted. I see God ruling in your favor today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. That sickness is being extracted because of the word of God that says ye shall be whole and strong. That poverty is being extracted because of the word of God that says the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not lack. That defeat, that opposition, God is bulldozing them over because of the word of God that says... I will be with you in trouble and I will deliver you. And though many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Lord will deliver them out of them all. In the mighty name of Jesus. Number five, get scripture that backs your case. Number six, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bull rush through these last three. Number six, believe you have received when you pray. Huge thing. You have to believe you have received. Not that you will receive, but that you have received. I don't pray for something and afterwards I go out and complain about how I don't have that thing I just prayed for. I pray for it and then I thank God. Anytime I'm remembered of how I don't have it, the devil will try and bring to your memory everything you don't have. He uses the tool of suggestion to try and get you to doubt God and back down and lose heart and get discouraged, give up and quit. But if you'll meditate on his word day and night and the next time that thought comes to you, well, I'm not seeing it that way or I'm not, you know, I still feel pain in my body. You can start to thank God that He'll make do, that He'll that He'll make good on His promise. The Bible says there is not failed one good promise, one good word of all His faithful promises. So what do you do? You believe that you've received it. Well, how do you know you've believed when your complaining is turned to praising? When you're no longer murmuring about how you don't have and you start thanking God that you have it. Though I don't see it, I know I have it. Jesus told Thomas, Blessed is he who believes without seeing. Well, that's foolish. Isn't that kind of like deceiving people? No, it's a law of faith. Believe without seeing. Abraham was fully persuaded. Though he didn't see, he didn't consider the report of man. He considered the report of the Lord. And as such, God performed his word on his behalf. So you have to believe. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, what things soever ye desire when you pray, believe that you have received. And it shall be done for you. Number seven, refuse fear. Learn to put down fear. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And that we are to take every thought that is against the word of God captive 
to the obedience to the Word of God. We're to take every imagination of the heart captive, strike it down, cast down every imagination of the heart, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So when the devil says you won't have it, you have to learn not to tame fear, to cast fear out. I will be strong and courageous. I will not be discouraged. You have to learn, you know, that's a matter of the will. Notice how it doesn't say when I feel like I won't, like I'm, uh, uh, when I feel courageous, I won't fear. It says I will not fear. It's an act of the will. I refuse to fear. I refuse to let the emotion of fear get the best of me. I am, I am not walking by what I see. I'm walking by faith. We walk not by the senses, what we hear, what we feel. We are led. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Faith is not led by feelings. Faith is led by the Word of God. So you have to learn to cast down fear. David in 1 Samuel 30, his people, his army, his family had been totally ransacked by a foreign agency, a foreign army. And the Bible says they even picked up stones to stone David. He had every opportunity to get afraid. He had every opportunity to just, you know, succumb to the emotion of fear. But instead, he, he strengthened himself in the Lord. You need to learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. How do you do that? Psalms is a great place to start. Memorize the Psalms. So the next time you have a thought that contradicts the Word of God, you can contradict or you can rise up against that thought by the word of God and say, no, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will praise his holy name. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though many are my adversaries, my God is my crown. He's my glory. He's my shelter. He's my fortress. He is my strong tower. He is my refuge. He is a very present help in time of trouble. That's how you subdue fear and strengthen faith in you. It's not just quoting the word. It's about having a heart-rooted conviction of the Word of God, and then voicing that Word in faith. I mean, David was like an addicted encourager. He was so encouraging. You read, even in times where he was discouraged. So I'm not preaching this to say that there's never going to be discouragement. I'm not preaching this to say that there's never going to be a, a, a thought. For you to never have contradictory thoughts to the Word of God, you're going to have to die and go to heaven. There's going to be a thought that tries to come. But just because a bird comes and flies over your head doesn't mean you have to let it nest in your, in your mind. Just because a thought comes, it can fly through, but it doesn't have to nest. You don't have to dwell on it. Paul says in Philippians, you are to dwell on the Word of God. Dwell on that which is pure, that which is true, that which is excellent and worthy of praise. Meditate on those things. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man 
who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he doth meditate day and night. I pray right now God's going to put a grace to have a holy addiction to the word of God. That's coming on you right now. Just like David, you'll more to be desired is this book than treasures. That's the type of love for the word of God that's coming on you right now. That love for the word of God is arresting you. It's going to drive you and compel you to read, to study, to lay up his word in your heart in Jesus' mighty name. Number seven, refuse to fear. Learn to laugh. Bible says in Job, thou shalt laugh at destruction and at famine, for it shall not come near you. The next time the devil uses suggestive words, trying to get you to doubt God, laugh. Oh, that family member won't be saved. You know that that person's going to go to hell. You know, that person will never come back to the Lord. Laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Your, son, your children will never serve the Lord. They're too far gone now. Ha, ha, ha. Learn to laugh in faith. The Bible says, he that sits in the heavens, he laughs. Join God and laugh. Laugh because me and my house shall serve the Lord, the scripture says. The Bible says, and you and your household shall be saved. I got scripture that backs that up. I don't care what suggestion the devil gives. I've got the highest word of authority on my side. And when God says yes, no devil, no man, no government, no demon can say no. When God said there's a lifting up, there's nothing that can bring a casting down. When God says it's time, there's nobody that can postpone or annul that purpose in your life. So number eight, number seven was refuse to fear. And number eight, final point is watch your confession. Huge point. It doesn't matter how much faith you exercise in prayer. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about something. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you give. If you leave that prayer closet and you start to complain about your situation, you start to talk about how things, you know, seem to never work for you. You start to confess things that are totally against what you just prayed for. You're negating the effect of your prayer by the words that you speak. You're making the power of prayer of no effect. You've stripped out the power of that prayer. You've stripped it out. Prayer that commands results is consistent even after it prays. It's consistently, it's not wavering of that confession. It's laying hold. It's keeping to. It's unconvinced of anything else but the word of God. And it's evident in their confession. Father, I'm praying for a job, praying that you'd give me this, this, that. I'm praying, Lord, that you, in your name, in Jesus' name, we call it done. Hey, so how's that job search going? You know, seems like nobody's hiring these days. What? It doesn't matter if there's a great depression and nobody's hiring. God will make it either that he gets you to start a business or... God will make it so that you're the only person that in the entire region that's worth hiring. 
you know, I really want that job, but they're overstaffed. God will make a new position available. Father, I pray that you heal me. Your word says, by your stripes I'm healed. You bore my sickness, carried my pains. In Jesus' name we call it done. How, how's your body feeling? You know, I don't know if I'll ever get out of this. You might as well have not prayed. It, it was vain. It was useless. You took out the fertility of that prayer to produce. You crushed it. Keep a watch over your mouth. Keep a firm guard over the words that you speak. Well, that's that whole power of confession stuff. You know, those preachers. What are you talking about? The Bible is loaded. Look at the book of Proverbs. Loaded with uh, content that describes the importance of the words you speak. James, New Testament says that the, a big ship is guided by a very tiny rudder wherever the pilot desires to go. Even so, your tongue is a small member, but it boasts of great things. A huge ship, even in the midst of great and fierce storms, a little tiny pilot can take a little tiny wheel and start to turn it in the direction he wants to go in and it'll go. A cruise ship, whatever type, a big ship will go wherever the pilot desires to go based on where he directs that rudder. Then James compares that to the power you have in your tongue. You know, you can use your, your tongue to either, either multiply defeat and attract further misery and tragedy and difficult times, or you can use that tongue to like a ship in a storm and a rudder directing it out of the storm. You can use that tongue to direct and navigate your life out of the storms and troubles that you're facing right now. You can have what you say. Those are the eight important facts, and there's more. That must be understood if you're going to have prayers that commend results. And I'm going to give a bonus because I feel this in my spirit. Bonus number nine. Bonus number nine. Walk in love. If you have unforgiveness or bitterness in your spirit, you're done. If you have unforgiveness towards another, you have hatred, disgust for another, there's, there's, there's a, a loathing spirit within you for somebody else. Can't stand to be in the same room with someone. Forget it. Doesn't matter how eloquent you pray. Doesn't matter if God himself showed up in your room in, in spirit and you saw him with your eyes. It wouldn't do anything for you. The Bible says faith worketh by love and at that faith does not work without love. The Bible says, if you have faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, it does you nothing. The Bible says that if you have tongues, you can pray in tongues, try and pray the perfect will of God for 14 hours straight. If you have not love, the Bible says you're a clanging cymbal and a noisy brass instrument. It's actually noise to God. The Bible says in the book of Mark 11, chapter 25, let me read it to you. Mark eleven twenty five. And whatsoever you, this is after he says, whatever you, let me read 24. 24, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. 
Notice how Jesus doesn't finish there. He goes on, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your heavenly Father may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you don't forgive him, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. There are so many people that are going to go to hell because someone mocked the hat they wore. They're going to be people in hell because they, that person always sits in my pew. That's my chair. My family's been reserving that chair for years. We've been sitting, I've been sitting there for 10 years. This person just gets saved and they start taking my chair. Ah, you know, you go to hell for that. Bitterness towards another. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, lest any root of bitterness springing up defile the many. The scripture is very clear. If I had regarded iniquity, if I regarded hate in my life, in my heart, the Lord would never hear me. Who can ascend the hill of the most high? Who can stand on his holy hill? Those who have what? Clean hands and a pure heart. A pure heart. I'm not saying you have to skip around like you're a, a, a leprechaun running through a field of rainbows. I'm not saying you have to be like, you know, everybody's best friend. But you have to walk in love. No greater love than this, than he that lays down his life for another. Unselfish love. Uncompromisingly, godly fueled love. How do you know you're loving someone? Jesus told the parable. He, there was a man who was beaten by thieves, laid on the side of the road. A priest came, saw him, went on the other side of the road. Another guy came, saw him, went on the other side of the road. Finally, a Samaritan man came, saw him, and bandaged up his wounds. His wounds. And Jesus said, which of you, uh, which of the three do you suppose was the neighbor to that man? And he said, the Samaritan. You've said so well. You've said well. You've spoken rightly. The love that compels you to move. You know what the word compassion means? It means to suffer with. To suffer with. To suffer for. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6 and verse 1. If you walk in love. The Bible says God is love. And that perfect love casts out all fear. When you walk in love, it casts out fear. So that when you're praying, you're praying in faith. And not doubting. So you can expect things to happen. Love plays a huge part in, answers, in answered prayers. If you're unforgiving, I, I can't stand that person. I'll never forgive them. After what they've done, you'll go to hell. The Bible says there was a man that had an insurmountable debt that he owed to a king. And the king summoned him and he was about to cut him in two and appoint his life with the unbelievers. And the Bible says he begged for mercy and said, Lord, have compassion on me and forgive me my debt. He did. That man, when he left the master's presence he went out and found someone who owed him far less than what he had owed the king and he grabbed him by the neck and pinned him to the wall and said pay me what you owe and the master of that servant heard what he had done and he summoned him and again and he said shouldn't you have had the same mercy i had towards you towards that guy you've lost favor with me and he <laughs> he had to pay the debt his de he, whatever debt was forgiven came right back on him eliminated him from the Lamb's book of life. 
forgive. The Bible says, be tenderhearted, kind towards one another, forgiving others as God himself forgave you. Those are nine, and I'll give one more, ten. This one, I'll just quote the scripture. The Bible says that you are to pay attention to your wives. If you're a married person, you're, pay attention to your spouse and give honor to them. Because if you disrespect your spouse, the Bible says your prayers will be hindered. That's a hindrance to prayer. Prayers being answered. If you're disrespecting your spouse, treating them like they're a, a dead fish, you're, you're not going to get favor. You're going to usher in God's wrath on your life. So get right in that area. I want to ask you today, have you, first of all, you can pray till you're blue in the face. If you are not in Christ, God's not your father. That's a lie from the enemy. We're all children of God. No, only those who have been, who have believed on the gospel. The Bible says, blessed are they, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Only those who have confessed and repented of sin and live a life for God are considered part of the family of faith. If you've not done that, there's no prayer you can pray that'll get God's attention except the one, and that's God, forgive me. I want to lead you in a prayer today that uh, if you'll pray this prayer and live a life of repentance and connect with God's purpose on the life, you can be saved. The Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. God can do something for you today where you, everything turns around. Where you come off the way that seems right, but it's only brought death, and you come onto the way that is right, and in its pathway there is no death. The Bible says, repent and believe, and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. If that's you, and you'd like to um, pray this prayer with me, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. When you pray this prayer, if you believe and you truly follow through with what we're praying, you'll be a son of God. You'll be a daughter of God. You'll, be, uh, you'll enter into God's family as God's very own child. No, no longer part of the world system. Translated out of the dominion of darkness into God's kingdom. And God will begin to help you from today. So pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe. You raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth, Christ is Lord. Come live in my heart. Where I was weak, make me strong. I repent. Fill me with your spirit to live for you. To walk with you. To keep your word and do those things that please you. Old things have passed away. Today everything becomes new. I am saved, not by works of righteousness, but by your grace alone. Thank you that I'm a new creature today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to go on our website, salvationnow.ca. That's the first time you've ever done that. Or maybe you have in the past and you've recommitted your life today. Go on salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. I want to send something to you uh, free of charge. 
just as a way of welcoming you in the family of God. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.